All right, well, welcome everyone. <laughs> welcome everyone to the St. Anne's Maths Reunion event. It's uh, wonderful to see so many people here uh, to come back and uh, share in the, the mathematical life of the college. So, um, as you'll see, we've got a, a program of three talks tonight, so hopefully uh, they're not going to be too frightening for those of you that haven't done mathematics for a long time. But uh, we're going to have one uh, now, which is uh, more mathematically focused, which is a research talk, but then we'll follow that up with uh, a talk on education and a talk on history. So, as you'll, uh, as you'll be aware, the St. Anne's has grown a lot uh, since its early days, and we'll hear more about that from Graham. And so the teaching team now consists of me, and I, I'm Ben Hambly, for those of you that don't know. So I'm currently the uh, senior, senior maths tutor here. So I uh, took that rollover from Hilary Priestley, who I'm sure many of you know. Uh, Hilary's still associated with the college, but unfortunately she can't be here tonight. But, uh, I'm sure she'd wish the best for all of you. Uh, it's great to see so many people. So to kick things off, uh, we have uh, Sarah Waters who joined the college in 2007 as a tutor in applied mathematics. So um, Sarah's interests are in the physical applied maths, and uh, she's uh, been teaching uh, the sort of differential equations and that type of uh, things for the college since she came. But of course, most of the time she's been here, she's been on a fellowship, and has really only just started teaching uh, full-time for the college. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I will hand over to Sarah to speak about mathematics in medicine and biology. Thank you. So hello, yes, thank you for that Ben, um, it's lovely to see so many of you here and I'm going to talk to you a little bit, uh, give you a brief overview of the sorts of problems I do in my research life. Um, so I thought uh, what I might start by doing is just telling you how I managed to get from my undergraduate days, so pretty much everybody in this room has a maths degree, how did I get from doing my undergraduate degree to where I am today? So I did uh, an undergraduate degree in maths, although at the other place. Um, and I stayed on to do part three, which is, their, as many of you will know, is their master's course. And then I decided that I was going to go north, and I went to do a PhD. So I read uh, just a maths degree covering both pure and applied. So, um, uh, I won't talk about my pure career because it wasn't great. Um, anyway, having done applied maths mainly at um, Cambridge, I went on to uh, do a PhD at Leeds University, where I worked in the maths department there under uh, Tim Pedley, who anybody in physical applied maths or in medicine and biology uh, will know that he's one of the leaders in the field. And there I worked on a problem uh, which, uh, in where I applied fluid mechanics and, and classical continuum mechanics approaches and started to develop my interest in mathematical medicine and biology. So uh, in particular, I worked on flows in curved tube as a model for coronary artery flows with the idea to understand how we um, perfuse our heart muscle and um, get an adequate supply of nutrients for the heart. Uh, from then, I went on to uh, do a couple of postdocs in, in America, where I actually moved from a maths department into a bioengineering group, which was very interesting, because most people behind uh, closed doors were cutting up various small animals. Um, and so I was quite an anomaly there, um, and I did uh, lots of interesting problems um, trying to model some of the uh, biological systems they were doing. Uh, after that, I went back to Cambridge, where I held a junior research fellowship and uh, developed uh, models in um, both arterial and respiratory fluid mechanics before getting my first faculty job uh, at the University of Nottingham, where I was a lecturer in the maths department there, teaching a range of things very similar to what I do here, so 
uh, differential equations, fluid mechanics, mathematical medicine, and biology. And then after that, uh, I was lucky enough to be appointed here, and I'm now um, the university lecturer in the tutorial. Hello, here at St Anne's. And so I thought I would tell you a little bit about what it, uh, what it is I do in my research um, in my research life. So um, what my my main research focus is to develop and solve mathematical models. Uh, to provide insights into biomedical problems. So I'm very much focused by problems in physiology and um, biomedical um, problems. Um, a lot of work I do is interdisciplinary, so I spend a lot of time not only talking to my colleagues in applied maths, uh, but also people who uh, work in hospitals um, or in um, uh, life science departments. And that actually is a key part of my work. Um, I've uh, done various different applications and I'll hopefully illustrate some of the sorts of problems um, that I'm particularly interested in today with a few case studies, but just broadly speaking, um, I work in the field of physiological fluid mechanics. So there, um, for those of you that might have taken some physical applied maths and, and done fluid and solid mechanics, they are applying classical techniques to try and understand uh, uh, physiological flows in the body. So arterial flows... Uh, urology, now application, or uh, lymph angiogenesis, so how do our tissues, when, you've, when we've got uh, fluid in tissues, how do we drain that fluid away? So classical fluids problems with a physiological motivation. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about brain swelling uh, as an example of the work we do in tissue biomechanics, which is a relatively new application for us, uh, and then some of our work in tissue engineering, where um, what we're trying to do there is provide insights into um, experimental protocols that they can then be used to try and grow tissues in the lab. So the range of problems I go, uh, work on goes from for, uh, what you might call a classical applied mass problem, where you would say the motivation is in physiology, but I'm solving um, some piece of uh, fluid mechanics of interest, to something that's highly interdisciplinary when I'm really having to work with biologists and iterate back and forth and try and answer a very specific question. Uh, so that brings me to, broadly speaking, the methodology we take. So at the heart of all the work I do is the biological question of interest. Um, and part of the uh, key process in trying to write down a mathematical model is really to understand what the biological question is and use the experiments that are being undertaken and the hypotheses put forward to develop a mathematical model. And I'll talk a little bit in the next slide about the sorts of mathematics we use. But essentially, what we're trying to do is turn... So an experimental system where there's a key question of interest into a system of equations that we can interrogate and hopefully provide some insights. So we tried to develop a mathematical model um, and then we used uh, uh, standard techniques in applied maths where rather than solving potentially the whole problem, we uh, look at the different um, parameters in the problem, try and look at exploiting features of the system we're considering. So there might be, for example, different length scales which allow us to simplify the problem and reduce the number of dimensions we're having to work with. Or there might be different time scales. So if you're trying to think about how a tissue grows, then that's a very slow process. And so on the time scale of tissue growth, you can essentially say it's static and solve something in a fixed domain rather than having to worry about um, evolving, moving boundary problems. So the simplification is to go from something that's potentially quite complex and difficult to solve to a reduced model where we hope to be able to solve the equations either analytically or numerically and provide some output. So at this point, we can go back to the biologist and say, we've run the model and this is the sorts of um, results we're obtaining. And um, more often than not, um, and in fact, I would say always, it will never agree with the experiment. 
Okay, so that can make it throw up their hands in the air, but actually the way it disagrees is one of the most interesting features of the model. So understanding why it doesn't agree may lead you to realise that there's some physics missing in the system. So it often leads you to identify a mechanism that hasn't been previously thought of, and that might stimulate new experiments. So in a, in a very good case scenario, you might actually identify some biological mechanism or make a biological hypothesis that could lead to new experiments and, and um, find new um, insights into your system. But there's always, uh, there's always a process of model refinement. The model will never agree totally. There's always some element of the model requiring improvement. It, it might need better data. It might lack some essential um, biology. And what, what we do then is we talk back to the biologist. We work out where it's going wrong, work out where, it's doing, where it is telling something, and basically refine this problem. Until eventually, the hope is that you get a model that you can use in a predictive way. And the importance of a predictive model is that it's much cheaper to run experiments in silico, to run them on your computer and make some predictions and some inferences than to do the biological experiment. So I'm not saying you have to not do the biology, but the idea of the modelling is that it can inform the biological experiments you might do. Okay, so uh, the sorts of... I don't do all this, but the sorts of... Um, Systems that have uh, been modelled mathematically range in scale from right down at the subcellular, so thinking about gene networks and DNA dynamics, to the cell scale, so we are interested in my group in um, trying to work out how cells move and writing down models of cell motility, through to tissue engineering, which is um, the problem of trying to grow an artificial tissue in the lab, how can we help that process, up the scales to um, my uh, sort of... Uh, original research interest in this area, which is physiological flows, so flows in the heart or the lung, or where be interested. And then at a very large scale, of course, there's models of ecology. And the sorts of equations we might write down, so some of this will be familiar to many of you, we might write down um, systems of ordinary differential equations where we assume things are spatially homogeneous and we can write down rate equations for how things vary in time. <coughs> we might worry about stochasticity, so when things are deterministic, we write down stochastic partial differential equations or um, hybrid models where we have some bits that are deterministic and some bits that are stochastic. It might have many different features in the modeling, but the, the, the model you write down has to be driven by the biological question and the system you're interested in, in um, writing down the model for. So we have all these uh, potential approaches at our fingertips, and then we have a whole bunch of um, different uh, mathematical secret techniques to try and make some progress. So um, I don't know when I started. When did I? How long have I got? I mean, I've got <laughs> Another 10 minutes? Yeah, right, good. <laughs> okay, so uh, I thought the best thing to try and illustrate, and hope to give you a flavour of what I did, was just to give you some examples. So the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, a relatively new project uh, where we're interested in, interested in trying to understand what happens to brain tissue following a stroke. So uh, this is a slice through a rat brain where the left-hand side is healthy and the right-hand side there's been a, a region of ischemia, so that's where a blood vessel has been blocked. It hasn't been able to provide the tissue with the nutrients it needs and it, it, it's turned ischemic. And what happens in that particular case is that ischemic event, that lack of oxygen, can cause the capillaries that feed all the um, cells in the brain with the nutrients um, to become more leaky and to increase impermeability. And it promotes or, or uh, it causes a swelling event and water to accumulate in brain tissue. 
And so the questions we've been interested in is trying to understand the mechanisms by which this process might occur in the first case. And secondly, what happens if the water is into your brain tissue? Over what sort of time scales would it flush out? There's no, there's no lymphatic system in the brain. There's no, um, there's no sewer system, if you like, to try and clear up the fluid. It's, a, it's an interplay between the solid mechanics of the brain tissue and the pressure gradients driving fluid out that will get rid of that fluid. So the question is, can we predict the degrees of tissue deformation that you get, how much the brain tissue um, uh, deforms because it's uh, accumulated water, and can we predict the pressure changes that you'll observe? And so that's interesting, both from a mechanistic point of view for us just trying to understand the process, but also a better understanding of those sorts of questions can then lead to some insight into damage to the brain and the subsequent downstream effects that you might have. So the key questions we want to know is, can local swelling cause damage to the surrounding tissue? And in particular, we're interested in the compression of the tissue because of the extra water, and then how that might cause the blood vessels that are within that tissue to become compressed and then not be able to do their job and perfuse the tissue. So um, this first sentence hides a, a, a wealth of um, detail. But essentially, we use a mixture theory approach, which is an approach that um, we use commonly throughout problems of these types and it's a good technique for modeling biological tissue uh, because it allows you to write down um, governing equations based on principles of mass and momentum conservation but for the different constituents of your tissue so in particular in this particular model we have an elastic component that models the brain tissue we have a fluid component that models the water the accumulation of water in the tissue we can account for the for the capillary bed itself and if we wanted to, we can write down a model for how the tissue is damaged and um, worry about charges and solids on the rest of it. So um, here's a snapshot of the sorts of this. Just, I'm just trying to illustrate the sorts of things that we can get. So this is a slice through a brain, because obviously brains are perfectly hemispherical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's half a brain, because brains are also symmetric. Exactly uh, this is mimicking the ventricle in the middle of the brain. Uh, this is mimicking what goes on between the brain and the skull. And the idea is that we have modeled the tissue using um, appropriate nonlinear solid mechanics and we can induce an injury and so have a local source of fluid accumulation and then simulate the timescales over which you go from high pressure regions where there's excess fluid back to the healthy tissue. And the interesting questions here are how does the timescale at which that occurs depend on the parameters in the system and are those timescales that we predict in any way, um, any way shown experimentally, or is there something else going on? Okay, so my second um, example is um, a problem where we actually, it's a very different example, but we use very similar mathematics. So here we're interested in the problem how cells move, and literally how does a single cell on some <coughs> substrate, some biomaterial, move across that biomaterial? Um, and this has many uh, motivations, um, when you're having hip replacement operations, uh, you, one of the problems that um, you have when you have those operations is how, how the cells colonise the artificial material that you put inside. Um, and so problems of how you can, you can um, pattern the biomaterial and promote cell motility are absolutely key. Uh, in tissue engineering problems, where you're trying to get cells to go to the right sorts of places, cell motility is key. And it's, we like it as mathematicians because it's a highly complicated system with lots of interesting behaviours that we can hopefully provide some insight into. 
So, um, a brief history of, or a brief um, synopsis of what's going on in a cell. So, essentially, you can think of a, think of a cell as a bag of fluid, um, which contains a network. And the idea that the, is that the dynamics of the cell motion, its ability to move across bimaterial surfaces, um, is governed by how that network behaves. So, um, before I go into that detail, um, I'll show you a, a slide, or a movie rather, of a, this is a single piece of uh, fish keratocyte, uh, which is initially sitting on some substrate doing absolutely nothing, and then is poked by um, something. And, uh, what you will see here is the cell is gliding across that substrate. And what's particularly fascinating to us as mathematicians is that initially it's, it's quite happy to sit there, it's in a stable configuration. And with some perturbation, some, some prompt out of that, that configuration, it will start to move. And it's clear that that cell shape is, is asymmetric. So somehow by breaking the symmetry, by poking it and breaking the symmetry, that cell, the, cell, the subcellular machinery, the network uh, that, that uh, governs how the cell moves, has allowed it to move in that direction. And what we're interested in is can we write down network models that can predict that kind of behaviour? So, uh, so this is what I want you to think of the cell machinery as. It's a sponge. Okay, so the network that's controlling the motion is the, is the solid part of the sponge, and the fluid in the cell, the cytosol, is the stuff that goes in between. Now, obviously, a sponge would be unable to move unless there was some machinery that allowed the network to remodel and move. And in, in a cell, that's called myosin, which is another protein, which is a motor. And what it allows the network to do is to contract or to diffuse out. And depending on how it contracts or, or um, relaxes, can lead to cell motion. So what we've been doing is taking a mixture theory approach along the lines that um, I hinted at for the brain, that accounts for those different phases of the cell, and predicts how the phases evolve, <coughs> and as we do various things to the cell which model a perturbation to its initial state. Uh, and what, we, what we've been successful in doing is taking a very simple version where we um, throw out much of the detail and retain the key features of, that, of the cell in the system. And we've been able to show that to get the cell to move, the, the perturbations that you give to the cell to get it to move have to be asymmetric. Uh, so these are the sorts of things we can get. Um, so this is a 1D cell, which runs between 0-1. And this is, these are predictions of how the network will evolve in time. So these are... Steps through parameters, steps through time, showing how the network evolves, um, and it's these types of profiles which can guide, give insight into how the cell polarizes and can start to move, um, and how you can get behaviours where cells will glide across substrates. Okay, um, so very quickly, I won't go into too much detail. Uh, one of the one of the, one of the big areas for us is tissue engineering, um, which is where we try and take insights that we've gleaned from cell motility and try and um, inform uh, bioreactor uh, bio operating conditions. So when you're trying to grow a cell, you, you have to get your cells to grow on something, and that might be some sort of biomaterial, and then you've got to grow that something in some sort of bioreactor where you can control the environment that those cells feel, be that mechanical or uh, chemical. And so we're very interested here in using classical fluid mechanics and transport equations and continuum mechanics approaches to try and inform operating conditions for bioreactors. Uh, because now it's increasingly felt that you, it's not enough simply to have a, a generic bioreactor which you can grow any tissue in. 
but you have to have a bioreactor that is bespoke for the system that you've got. So some cells like to have forces applied, some cells don't care, some cells need high nutrients, some cells don't care. And so the, the, the sorts of bioreactors that you want have to be developed for the applications you're considering. And this is great for modelling. So uh, here's an example of a, a, a bioreactor where the, there's a fibre in the bioreactor which is trying to mimic a blood vessel. And so you have some flow along here which is mimicking flow down the pillories. You have some wall here which the cells sit on. And then you can flow fluid through here. It can, the wall is permeable, so it can permeate through the walls and feed the cells. Um, and you can control through inlets and outlets of your system the various flow conditions and the various nutrient conditions. And this is a very complicated system requiring um, optimis optimization in some sense. And these are the sorts of results that we are able to generate that can inform experimental problems where you're not able to get in there and measure the fields, the concentration fields or the, or the uh, mechanical fields. Modeling can predict that and, and provide some insight into uh, the environment the cells find themselves in. So basically, I'll put these up because they're quite pretty. <laughs> but the top shows how the concentration profile evolves over time. These white blobs here are the cells. We allow the cell profiles to grow so we can predict the time it takes to build up some population. And this, um, these plots down here show how the fluids level uh, builds up and the, uh, the mechanical stresses vary over time. Okay, well, I could talk for hours, but I won't. Um, oh, and I've lost my final slide. But there, so anyway... Um, uh, really what I was trying to, what I really just wanted to try and illustrate was that the sorts of problems we're interested in are very biologically motivated, but um, as well as providing insights into experiments and um, hopefully um, being able to help life scientists with certain problems, we're also interested in finding problems that are challenging mathematically. And this is a very nice field personally to be in because the problems often lead to new sorts of mathematical modelling uh, with new features that um, are interesting and challenging to solve. Thank you.